Chapter Ten of Elizabethan Sea Dogs by William Wood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten: The One and the Fifty-Three. The next year, fifteen hundred and eighty-nine, is famous for the unsuccessful Lisbon expedition drake had the usual troubles with elizabeth who wanted him to go about picking leaves and breaking branches before laying the axe to the root of the tree though there were in the narrow seas defensive squadrons strong enough to ward off any possible blow yet the nervous landsmen wanted corunna and other ports attacked and their shipping destroyed for fear england should be invaded before drake could strike his blow at lisbon then there were troubles about stores and ammunition the english fleet had been reduced to the last pound of powder twice during the ten days battle with the armada yet elizabeth was again alarmed at the expense of munitions she never quite rose to the idea of one supreme and finishing blow no matter what the cost might be this was a joint expedition the first in which a really modern english fleet and army had ever taken part with sir john norreys in command of the army there was no trouble about recruits for all men of spirit flocked in to follow drake and norreys the fleet was perfectly organized into appropriate squadrons and flotillas such as then corresponded with the battleships cruisers and mosquito craft of modern navies the army was organized into battalions and brigades with a regular staff and all the proper branches of the service the fleet made for corunna where norreys won a brilliant victory a curious little incident of exact punctilio is worth recording after the battle and when the fleet was waiting for a fair wind to get out of the harbor the ships were much annoyed by a battery on the heights norreys undertook to storm the works and sent in the usual summons by a parlementaire accompanied by a drummer an angry spaniard fired from the walls and the drummer fell dead the english had hostages on whom to take reprisals but the spaniards were too quick for them within ten minutes the guilty man was tried inside the fort by drumhead court-martial condemned to death and swung out neatly from the walls while a polite spanish officer came over to assure the english troops that such a breach of discipline should not occur again lisbon was a failure the troops landed and marched over the ground north of lisbon where wellington in a later day made works whose fame has caused their memory to become an illusion in english literature for any impregnable base the lines of torres vedras the fleet and the army now lost touch with each other and that was the ruin of them all norreys was persuaded by don antonio pretended to the throne of portugal which philip had seized to march farther inland where portuguese patriots were said to be ready to rise en masse this antonio was a great talker and a first-rate fighter with his tongue but his portuguese followers also great talkers wanted to see a victory won by arms before they rose before leaving lisbon drake had one stroke of good luck a spanish convoy brought in a hanseatic dutch and german fleet of merchantmen loaded down with contraband of war destined for philip's new armada 
Drake swooped on it immediately and took sixty well-found ships. Then he went west to the Azores, looking for what he calls some comfortable little dew of heaven, that is, of course, more prizes of a richer kind. But sickness broke out. The men died off like flies. Storms completed the discomfiture, and the expedition got home with a great deal less than half its strength in men and not enough in value to pay for its expenses. It was held to have failed, and Drake lost favor with the sun of drake's glory in eclipse at court and with spain and england resting from warfare on the grander scale there were no more big battles the following year but the year after that fifteen hundred and ninety one is rendered famous in the annals of the sea by sir richard grenville's fight in drake's old flagship the revenge this is the immortal battle of the one in the fifty-three from which raleigh's prose and tennyson's verse have made a glory of the pen fit to match the glory of the sword grenville had sat with drake and sir philip sidney on the parliamentary committee which recommended the royal charter granted to sir walter raleigh for the founding of the first english colony in what is now the united states grenville's grandfather marshal of calais to henry the eighth had the faculty of rhyme and in a set of verses very popular in their own day showed what the grenville family ambitions were who seeks the way to win renown or flies with wings to high desire who seeks to wear the laurel crown or hath the mind that would aspire let him his native soil eschew let him go range and seek anew grenville himself was a wild and roving blade no great commander but an adventurer of the most daring kind by land or sea he rather enjoyed the consternation he caused by aping the airs of a pirate king he had a rough way with him at all times and ralph lane was much set against his being the commander of the virginia voyage of which lane himself was the governor on land but in action he always was beyond a doubt the very beau ideal of a first-class fighting man a striking instance of his methods was afforded on his return from virginia when he found an armed spanish treasure-ship ahead of him at sea he had no boat to board her with but he knocked some sort of one together out of the ship's chests and sprang up the spaniard's side with his boarding party just as this makeshift boat was sinking under them the last fight of the revenge is almost incredible from the odds engaged fifty-three vessels to one but it is true and neither raleigh's glowing prose nor tennyson's glowing verse exaggerates it lord thomas howard almost famished for want of prey had been cruising in search of treasure ships when captain middleton one of the gentlemen adventurers who followed the gallant earl of cumberland came in to warn him that don alonzo de bazan was following with fifty-three sail the english crews were partly ashore at the azores and howard had barely time to bring them off cut his cables and work to windward of the overwhelming spaniards grenville's men were last the revenge had only her hundred fighters on deck and her ninety-six below when the spanish fleet closed round him yet just as he had sworn to cut down the first man who touched a sail when the master thought there was still a chance to slip through so now he refused to surrender on any terms at all 
then running down close hauled on the starboard tack decks cleared for action and crew at battle quarters he steered right between two divisions of the spanish fleet till the mountain-like san philippe of fifteen hundred tons ranging up on his weather side blanketed his canvas and left him almost becalmed immediately the vessels which the revenge had weathered hauled their wind and came up on her from to leeward then at three o'clock in the afternoon of the first of september fifteen hundred and ninety one that immortal fight began the first broadside from the revenge took the san philippe on the water-line and forced her to give way and stop her leaks then two spaniards ranged up in her place while two more kept station on the other side and so the desperate fight went on all through that afternoon and evening and far on into the night meanwhile howard still keeping the weather gauge attacked the spaniards from the rear and thought of trying to cut through them but his sailing-master swore it would be the end of all her majesty's ships engaged as it probably would so he bore away wisely or not as critics may judge for themselves one vessel the little george noble of london a victualler stood by the revenge offering help before the fight began but grenville thanking her gallant skipper ordered him to save his vessel by following howard with never less than one enemy on each side of her the revenge fought furiously on boarders away shouted the spanish colonels as the vessels closed repel boarders shouted grenville in reply and they did repel them time and again till the english pikes dripped red with spanish blood a few spaniards gained the deck only to be shot stabbed or slashed to death towards midnight grenville was hit in the body by a musket shot fired from the tops the same sort of shot that killed nelson the surgeon was killed while dressing the wound and grenville was hit in the head but still the fight went on the revenge had already sunk two spaniards a third sank afterwards and a fourth was beached to save her but grenville would not hear of surrender when day broke not ten unwounded englishmen remained the pikes were broken the powder was spent the whole deck was a wild entanglement of masts spars sails and rigging the undaunted survivors stood dumb as their silent cannon but every spanish hull in the whole encircling ring of death bore marks of the revenge's rage four hundred spaniards by their own admission had been killed and quite six hundred wounded one hundred englishmen had thus accounted for a thousand spaniards besides all those that sank grenville now gave his last order sink me the ship master gunner but the sailing master and flag captain both wounded protesting that all lives should be saved to avenge the dead manned the only remaining boat and made good terms with the spanish admiral then grenville was taken very carefully aboard don bazan's flagship where he was received with every possible mark of admiration and respect don bazan gave him his own cabin the staff surgeon dressed his many wounds the spanish captains and military officers stood hat in hand wondering at his courage and stout heart for that he showed not any signs of faintness nor changing of his colour grenville spoke spanish very well and handsomely acknowledged the compliments they paid him then gathering his ebbing strength for one last effort he addressed them in words they have religiously recorded here die i richard grenville with a joyful and quiet mind for that i have ended my life as a true soldier ought to do that hath fought for his country queen religion and honour 
wherefore my soul most joyfully departeth out of this body and when he had said these and other such like words he gave up the ghost with a great and stout courage grenville's latest wish was that the revenge and he should die together and though he knew it not he had this wish fulfilled for two weeks later when don bazan had collected nearly a hundred more sail around him for the last stage home from the west indies a cyclone such as no living man remembered burst full on the crowded fleet not even the great armada lost more vessels than don bazan did in that wreck engulfing week no less than seventy went down and with them sank the shattered revenge beside her own heroic dead drake might be out of favour at court the queen might grumble at the sad extravagance of fleets diplomats might talk of untying gordian knots that the sword was made to cut courtiers and politicians might wonder with which side to curry favour when it was an issue between two parties peace or war the great mass of ordinary landsmen might wonder why the sea affair was a thing they could not understand but all this was only the mint and cumin of imperial things compared with the exalting deeds that drake had done for once the english sea-dogs had shown the way to all america by breaking down the barriers of spain england had ceased to be merely an island in a northern sea and had become the mother country of such an empire and republic as neither record nor tradition can show the like of elsewhere and england felt the triumph she thrilled with pregnant joy poet and proseman both gave voice to her delight hear this new note of exultation born of england's victory on the sea as god hath combined the sea and land into one globe so their mutual assistance is necessary to secular happiness and glory the sea covereth one half of this patrimony of man thus should man at once lose the half of his inheritance if the art of navigation did not enable him to manage this untamed beast and with the bridle of the winds and the saddle of his shipping make him serviceable now for the services of the sea they are innumerable it is the great purveyor of the world's commodities the conveyor of the excess of rivers uniter by traffic of all nations it presents the eye with divers colours and motions and is as it were with rich brooches adorned with many islands it is an open field for merchandise and peace a pitched field for the most dreadful fights in war yields diversity of fish and fowl for diet material for wealth medicine for sickness pearls and jewels for adornment the wonders of the lord in the deep for all instruction multiplicity of nature for contemplation to the thirsty earth fertile moisture to distant friends pleasant meeting to weary persons delightful refreshing to studious minds a map of knowledge a school of prayer meditation devotion and sobriety refuge to the distressed portage to the merchant customs to the prince passage to the traveller springs lakes and rivers to the earth it hath tempests and calms to chastise sinners and exercise the faith of seamen manifold affections to stupefy the supplest philosopher maintaineth as in our island a wall of defence and watery garrison to guard the state it entertains the sun with vapours the stars with a natural looking-glass the sky with clouds the air with temperateness the soil with suppleness the rivers with tides the hills with moisture the valleys with fertility but why should i longer detain you the sea yields action to the body meditation to the mind and the world to the world by this art of arts navigation
Well might this pious Englishman, the Reverend Samuel Purchase, exclaim with David, Thy ways are in the sea, and thy paths in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. The poet sang of Drake in England, too. Could this encompassment of all the world be more happily admired than in these four short lines? The stars of heaven would thee proclaim, if men here silent were, the sun himself could not forget his fellow-traveller. What wonder that after Nombre, the Dios, and the Pacific, the West Indies and the Spanish Main, Cadiz and the Armada, what wonder after this that Shakespeare, English to the core, rings out, this royal throne of kings, this sceptred isle, this earth of majesty, this seat of Mars, this other Eden, demi-paradise, this fortress built by nature for herself against infection and the hand of war this happy breed of men this little world this precious stone set in the silver sea which serves it in the office of a wall or as a moat defensive to a house against the envy of less happy lands this blessed plot this earth this realm this england this england never did nor never shall lie at the proud foot of a conqueror but when it first did help to wound itself now these her princes are come home again come the three corners of the world in arms and we shall shock them naught shall make us rue if england to herself do rest but true End of chapter ten